We are going to begin. Thank you all for coming. And um, as we look forward to what God's going to do in our midst, I pray that these servant training classes would bring glory to the Lord and bring unity to the body, that we all be on, on one page to do the Lord's work. And so that's why we're here. Uh, a lot of people, well, a few people, have asked me, well, what if I miss the class or whatever? Um, so we have a way to make that up, and we've been recording these. So I would just need to know um, what class you missed, and then I would send you the link for the class. And then um, there's homework for it. So you get credit for the class when you fill out the questions and turn them into in me, and they're all right. <laughs> so it's not that it difficult. But so um, if you have missed a class, um, let me know, and let me know which one. And then I'll send that to you. So, okay. So um, just a quick review. We started off, the first class was um, foundations, why we're here. The reason we're here, plain and simple, is to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We have a set of core values, things that we really value, things that are important to us. Um, kind of a grid for the culture we want to set here, and that... That is dependency on the Lord, simplicity, grace, and love. Those are the things that we value in the culture, the environment that we want to establish here at church. So that's why we're here, to make passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That's what God, why God called us. That's why God anoints us and equips us and has brought us together for such a time as this. Um, uh, session two, class two. Um, can anybody tell me what class two is about? Methods. methods. Very good. So methods. So how do we do all this? Do we use gimmicks to pull people in? Do we use um, certain tricky techniques to get people? No, we believe that God builds the house. And he's given us the tools that we need to build the house. And the tools that God's given us are more than we can ever Handle. It's when we get in the way and try to be too cute and too clever and try to build things in our flesh, that's when things go wrong. So tools we have, Word of God, nothing more powerful than the Word of God. That's what people need. That's what people want. That's what people are starving for, the Word of God. Um, talked about discipleship, talked about community, family, talked about uh, serving, each one serving in their area of giftedness, prayer, fasting, and uh, I think that was it. Um, the last thing, though, we ended up with talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we focused on last time. Can anybody tell me what the three different relationships with the Holy Spirit are that we could have? Can I see a hand, please? No, <laughs> okay, Brian, what was it? Can you explain those? Very good. So, as Brian said, so the, he used, he's speaking in Greek, so 
He's using Greek words, if you didn't know. So, um, so the three different relationships, and we looked at those as para, P-A-R-A, which means the Holy Spirit's with us. That doesn't mean he's in us. That doesn't mean we're born again. That means he's bringing us to Christ, convicting us of our sin, showing us our need for him. The moment we receive Christ, he becomes E-N. Holy Spirit is E-N, which is the Greek in our language. It's I-N. He becomes in us. He indwells us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is synonymous with our salvation. So the moment we become Christians, born again, uh, justified, all those terms is the moment we, we give our life to Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us. But what's interesting, as we saw last week, there's another experience that we can have with the Holy Spirit, and that is upon, U-P-O-N, and in the Greek, it's E-P-I, epi, and that means an empowering. And this is, and I hope that after last week, and even Wednesday night, we talked about this quite a bit, I hope you're able to ask yourself and pray, have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have I been empowered for the service? And I, I hope and pray that we all have, especially as we serve the Lord and as we go out to be lights in this world. So we talked about that. Now, today, we're going to talk about the, the structure of the church. How is the church structured? Um, some people will call it church government, things like that. So that's what we want to talk about today. So we'll have a very special slideshow that we finished in the nick of time. And slide number one. Okay. So what is, what is the purpose of our structure? Is it to create more opportunities for people? Is it to layer our ministry with layers of hierarchy and red tape so nothing gets done? The answer is obvious. The purpose of our structure is to feed, to feed. So the reason we have structure is to help us do what God has called us to do to the best that we can and not to get in the way of doing that, which oftentimes structure does. We see that in politics, red tape, all these things, committees and all these things where Nothing ever, uh, ever gets done because there's too much red tape. So, an example of this we find in Mark chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus is feeding the hungry. And so, our structural foundation and the idea and the thought of our structure, a lot of this has to do with what Jesus did in Mark 6, 33, and on. And so I'll read it to you. So the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, knew Jesus. So Jesus had a, a big following of people. And they ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and they came together to him. Imagine the excitement, anticipation, the enthusiasm. They're just, we got to get to Jesus. And you're talking. Thousands of people now, right? So you're getting, this is an issue, right? You get thousands of people, that becomes crowd control issues. I mean, you, this is a, an issue. So um, in th verse 34, 
it says that Jesus, when Jesus came out and he saw all the people, he was moved with compassion for them. And I find that interesting because in, in ministry, this is a, a motivation for ministry, not that people would be a nuisance or irritant, but that you would see the need, that we would be able to see and be able to be inconvenienced for people. And a lot of times if we have the wrong idea about ministry or what we're doing, then we lose the people factor. Ministry is people. Ministry is not just doing tasks, it's people. So the tasks that we do are for the people. And, And I like this because we can all find ourselves with the tendency to forget that part. I, f- I can find that easily in myself. I forget it's about the people. So Jesus, his, his thing is he saw the people, their longing, their desire, and he didn't see them as an inconvenience. He, he saw them with the compassion on them. So he says, because, and the reason is because they're like sheep having no shepherd. So they just, they were looking for leadership. They're looking for direction, for purpose, and they're just, Ran. They didn't know what they were looking for, but they were looking. And they were sort of finding something maybe in Jesus. So this was his attitude. And then it says, now the day was far spent. So it was, it was getting late and the disciples said, hey, this is kind of a, a deserted place. And it's getting late. We better send them away so they can go into their countries and villages and, and buy bread. And, and they're going to get hungry. It's getting late. And so... You know, you got to kind of picture the, the, the scene, you know, as Jesus is ministering around the Sea of Galilee and there'd be, you know, people would just walk all around and there'd be, you know, various villages and all that. And the, the, um, the rumor, the, the message about Jesus was getting out and just people wanted to find him. And so they, they just left and they were walking and it was, you know, they didn't think about the food even. That tells you something right there, that they weren't concerned about that. They were desperate to get to Jesus. So um, the disciples, you know, they're thinking practically. And I could find myself making this mistake as well. Jesus is thinking compassionately. The disciples are thinking practically. Disciples are thinking about their physical hunger. Jesus is thinking about their spiritual hunger. Right? So in ministry... That's a good lesson for us, a good example. It's about the people. It's about their hunger. It's about their desire. It's, uh, sometimes we have to understand our practical thinking may not be spiritual. So sounds good, right? Yeah, they need somebody to send them, send them away. You know, it's quitting time. It's time to relax. So um, next slide here. Don't, this is the next one, right? Okay. So here's what Jesus says. So Jesus says, hey, you give them something to eat. So, you know, of course, they're looking at the people and they're looking what they have and they're seeing like, well, it doesn't work out. Again, thinking practically, not thinking spiritually, not remembering. They were with Jesus who had been doing a whole bunch of miracles and stuff. So if Jesus says, feed them and you're with Jesus and you probably know why we can feed them then. But a lot of times we just think, well, you know, we don't have enough money in the box or we don't have enough supplies in the children's church or not enough teachers or not. What, but try to think in terms like Jesus would think, that he is going to provide exactly what we need for what exactly he wants to do. 
that he's our provider. And so we, we look to him and we pray. We're responsible with what we've been given and doing the practical things, but at the end of the day, we have to understand that Jesus is in charge of this whole thing. We also have to understand that the people we're ministering to, Jesus loves them more than we do. Jesus wants to care for them way more than we do. So then we pray. We ask ourselves, okay, Lord, you know, what is it? What, are we, what should we do here? And so, you know, Jesus, more than feeding the 5,000, he wanted to show his disciples something, I believe. It was more about that. So Jesus, so he's, he says, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So have you ever found yourself being sarcastic with the Lord? Like, seriously, Lord, like, you want me to minister all these people? I have nothing. You know, that kind of thing. I'm tired. You know, we get sarcastic with the Lord, and that's what they were doing. They're getting kind of, like, they had to tell him, you know, how much money and everything. that Like, Jesus didn't know, right? So, in verse 39, they're still, see, they're still thinking practically, pragmatically, black and white, A plus B equals C, 1 plus 2 equals 3. That's all they can think. But they're with Jesus, right? That blows the top off of all, all of these things. But I don't want to belabor this point, but I, I want you to see this is so important because church is, is not a business like a business in the world. Church is a ministry, and it's a ministry of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual institution. And so our resources are, are prayer and dependency on the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not money and supplies. God will supply all our needs, what? According to His riches in heaven. That's really important. And sometimes in, in our ministries or in our service to the Lord, God brings us to a place where we have to depend on Him he brings us to a place where it's like, man, Lord, if you don't do anything here, nothing's going to happen. That's where he wants us to be a lot of times. So then it becomes a work of the Lord and not our work. So Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out and they had five loaves of bread and two fish. Right? And it's, you think about, they're already being sarcastic. I can imagine them going and getting and going, see, See, I told you, right? We can't do it. So in verse 39, he commanded them, and this is the key. This is where we get structure. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. Why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus wanted to feed them. And think about it. There's, there could have been possibly 20,000 people here. He, he fed 5,000 it says, so there, at least there are 5,000 people, right? So the way he wanted everybody to get something. Imagine, have you ever seen, like, they do uh, food supplies in, like, places where it's been ravished by a hurricane or something or whatever, and if they don't have structure, what happens? It's fend for yourself. It's like a truck's going to come in with food, and it's going to be a survival of the fittest. People, people will fight and crawl and scratch. And then not everybody gets fed. Just certain people get fed. So this, do you see the structure here? He commanded them first to sit down, be organized. There has to be some organization. And then he says, in groups on the grass. 
So cert, sit down in a certain way in a certain place. But why did, why did he, we can never forget why he said that. It was so everybody could get fed. And that's what we do at church. That's why we have ushers seating people. That's why it's not a free-for-all. It's just so that people can eat. Next slide. So they all sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. Very specific, right? Organization. They were organized. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, so he used what they had. He took what they had. And then Jesus looks up to heaven, emphasizing a, the spiritual component of what he was going to do with the physical things that he had. So he, he took what they had, and then he, he took them and he presented them to God. And then he blessed it, and then he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples. So now there's distribution, right? So the disciples now are becoming part of the distributing of the food. And then they set them before them, the two fish divided among them all. So they all ate, they all were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragment, fragments and of fish, and those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 of them. So this, this is how we see ministry working this is how we see God blessing. This is how everybody eats. And the purpose of structure then is so that everybody can eat. The ushers maintain the sanctuary. This is like their realm, you know, because the word sanctuary, this has to be a place where people can come in and feel free to worship the Lord without being distracted and without having all these things that they can just set everything aside and be free to worship the Lord. That's a big responsibility. You know, that's a big thing. To, they're like guardians of the sanctuary. You know, it's like they have to make sure the sanctuary is, is a place where people can honor and worship the Lord. And so uh, a huge thing. But so our, our, the purpose of structure is so people can eat. Next slide. Or feed, I said, but same thing. The second thing about the purpose of our structure is that structure should never get in the way of what we're trying to do. This was what happened in this occasion in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. So our structure should never be so rigid and firm that it actually gets in the way of ministry. I'll give you one example really quick. Um, when I was a pastor, assistant pastor in California, Pacific Hills, Calvary Chapel, one of the things that I was responsible for was overseeing the children's church. And I remember one day, um, service was going on, and I was kind of just kind of roaming the halls of the children's church. And um, this lady came to me, bawling, crying. And I was, you know, I was, I was asking her, what's going on? Is everything okay? What's wrong? And she had a, a child with special needs that couldn't get into the class that she wanted to bring the class in because the teacher said that the class number was full. Like, say, if there's 10 people, like, this would be the 11th person. And they said, so they, they said, you can't come. Well, this lady didn't have any, she hasn't been to, hadn't been to church in months because of her 
child, the difficulty she has with her child and everything. And that, that's where I think a rule is not actually helping. It's actually getting in the way. That I understand there has to be ratios and all that, and you can only handle a certain amount of people, and then there's safety issues. But in a case like that, if it comes down to this lady getting fed in the sanctuary and her child being taught the things of God, we can have one more person in there. That's okay. So anyway, the purpose of structure is to help, not to hinder. This is the story from Mark chapter 2. It says, when it, it happened that Jesus went through the grain fields, it was on the Sabbath. It's funny, Jesus did a lot of stuff on the, on the Sabbath. I think it was to keep proving a point. It just made the, the Pharisees so mad. And he kept doing it. And it's to prove a point. And we're going to see that here. So it says that as they went, as disciples, they began to pluck heads of grain. Imagine the liberty they felt with Jesus. After all this pharisaical, legal oppression. Jesus with us, let's, let's eat, let's have at it. So there, the Pharisees were always lingering around too. Isn't that interesting? It says, and the Pharisees said to him, hey, look. Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So then, Jesus said, Have you not read that David did what David did when he was in need and hungry? That's the key that there's a need and there's a hunger. Is it the Sabbath and, and honoring the Sabbath more important than a need and hunger? Jesus places need and hunger over a rule. So he says, in verse 26, how David, he explains, David went to the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath, this is the key, the Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift. It was, a ble- it, was, it was supposed to be something helpful, something good for man. And then he says, and man wasn't made for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath wasn't to get in the way of something good. It was to help something good. And whenever the law or rule got in the way of something good, the law and the rule would be superseded by what was good. So that's where they worship the rule or the law versus what was good. See, we can put rules and laws in place or policies in place of what's good. So that statement is important. The Sabbath was made for man. So laws, rules, in our case, maybe church policies, should be used to the embetterment the improvement, the furtherment of our relationship with God and not get in the way of our relationship with God. Right? Verse 28, then he says, Therefore the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he is our Sabbath. Jesus himself is our Sabbath. So the purpose of our structure is to feed and to help, not to hinder. So structure-wise, next slide. What are the types of structure? Now, this is interesting. Church government, church structures. There's not much given in the Bible about that. You don't read anything like the church is supposed to be set up exactly like this. And that's why you have differences in the way a church is set up. 
The, the, the New Testament is very vague about that. Let's put, and I believe that's for a reason. Because I think there's different governments, types of governments that suit different congregations or different situations or circumstances. So, but what do we have? What does the Bible give us about church structure? That's important because we want to know, well, what does the Bible say about that? But first, no, the Bible doesn't tell us you should have a church structure like this. Know that. It's very vague. So what do we know? Number one, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1, it talks about a bishop. So there's one thing. It sounds like a church officer or some kind of official or something. It's a, and in 1 Timothy 3, 1, it says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So there we get a little information. The word bishop is uh, an overseer or it can be seen as a pastor. So if you desire that um, position, he says that, that's a good thing. And there, he's not saying this is selfish ambition or you're trying to be a big man in charge or a big cheese. He's saying if you desire to be used by God to the fullest of the way he wants to use it, you, should, you should do that. You should want to be used by God in a church body, in a church function to the maximum about. Uh, of what he wants to use you in. So this type of church rule is uh, the Episcopal church is, is set up like this. Have you guys heard of the Episcopal church? Has anybody ever been part of the Episcopal church? A couple people. So that's their church government. Their, their church name is because of their government. Because the word bishop, the Greek word is uh, episcope. That's the Greek word. That's where we get that. So usually this is a run by or church government is ruled by a pastor or pastor overseer type of thing. Okay. So the second thing we see in the Bible in regards to church rule government is something called the presbyteris, which is the Greek word. And this is a elders rule or a plurality of leadership. So this is kind of where you have a, a group of elders and they're in charge of everything. So the pastor becomes like hired by the group of elders and the group of elders tell the pastor what he needs to be doing. And so the pastor becomes sort of like a hireling to the group. And this could work in some instances too. The Presbyterian church is set up like this. Has anybody been Presbyterian church or a few Presbyterian churchers? So their government is set up with a, a plurality of leaders or a group of leaders called elders, and they sort of make the rules and decisions for the whole church. And we get this from Acts chapter 14, verse 20, 21. Got to get a little closer on this one. So... Um, so when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So they have all these new converts to Christ. What do you do with them? So they strengthened the souls of the disciples and they exhorted them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, there's where we get the term elders or presbyteros in the Greek. 
in every church, they appointed elders in every church, they prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So those are the two um, scriptures and the two understandings we get with church government. And you can see from that, still not real clear, like, should it be Episcopal bishop rule? Should it be Presbyterios? Presbyterios elders rule, which one should we do? They both kind of are mentioned. How does that all work? Well, like I said, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly. There's one other kind of rule. This is not in the Bible, and it's called congregational rule. I think this is more of a Western culture construct, a democracy that you vote on everything, and the whole congregation has equal, say, equal votes of the problem with that one it's not we don't see that in the bible at all but two the examples we do see in the bible is usually when things are going really haywire like the congregation rebelling against moses and wanting to take over and you know you don't even know who's spiritually following the lord in a whole congregation so that you know so that so we we some people are into congregational rule but i that's a difficult one to see biblically so the old testament then gives us a little bit more about structure in the Bible, especially in regards to Moses and his congregation, which is very large. So we, um, we'll, we'll just look at that a little bit. In this structure with Moses, God called Moses to lead the people to carry out God's plan with, the with leading the congregation. Moses was given vision, given direction, and given the calling to lead the people, okay? Like a pastor. You could say it like a pastor. So then Moses had other gifted men then that came along, alongside to help support what God's vision was for the congregation, for their assembly of people. And so, next slide. I was going to read that, but I'm not going to read all that. But here's, here's the point. So we have this in, in Exodus 18, 17 through 23. And the, the point was, Moses was getting overwhelmed with ministering to the people. So his father-in-law, Jethro, you may recall, said, hey, you, you can't do this all, your, all yourself. You need help to minister to the people. So he, he told Moses, well, you can get faithful men to help you and to minister to the people because one person can't do all this stuff. And so he did. And it was a blessing and it helped Moses. It helped the congregation. And so that would be kind of like a, a pastor and assistant pastors. So that you can read about that in Exodus 18. Next slide. And then he had, uh, along with the men that he called to help minister to the needs of the people, then he also had... The priesthood. So he had Aaron and the priesthood, and they oversaw uh, the spiritual needs of the people. So that can be seen sort of like assistant pastors. I, I should have said the whole thing with Jethro. That could be seen like a board where they're handling issues with the people. And then the spiritual needs with Aaron and the priesthood, that would be like assistant pastors. So they would handle the things in the temple, and then they would have men... That, he, that Moses appointed other men that would handle issues and things with the body of Christ. And then you had Moses working with them. So then, the next slide, please. 
Oh, you know what? Can you go back one sec? Chuck Smith then has a quote. Uh, Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, he said, in regards to this Old Testament structure, he said the elders and the priesthood were called to support the work of God that was God was doing through the congregation. So the elders and the priesthood were called to support the work of God that God was doing in that congregation. Okay, next slide. Now, okay, with all that, then what do we do? What's our structure? Well, I like to think of our structure as a theocracy, meaning that God is in charge of our church. There's a couple of scriptures that we see that for sure God is the head of the church in Colossians 1.18. It says, and, and he, God, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And I think that's important then. Now in our, in our structure, one, we want to have our structure so we can feed effectively. And we want to have our structure so we can help and not get in the way. We want a, a simple structure. And it all starts with knowing and understanding God is, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the senior pastor. He's in charge we want to seek and discern his will for what he wants for our church. But you know, you know how great that is for me? Just always remembering it's the Lord that's in charge of this thing. And I, I pray often like this. I say, Lord, this is your problem. I'm just here to serve you. This is your church. This is not my church. This is your church. You take care of this thing. You know, I pray that a lot. I can't even tell you how much. And you know how freeing and relieving it is that it's not up to me? I thank God it's not up to me. I wouldn't be here if it was up to me. You wouldn't be here if it was up to me. But it's, if it's up to God, up to God, hey, we're in business, right? So we want to make sure in everything we do that he gets preeminence, that, that he's the reason, that, that we understand that. There's another verse in Ephesians 1.22. It says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things of the church, which is his body. I love that. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you get that? If your lunch is starting to kick in right now, do this or something. Because the body... I can see your faces. I know. I love the church is his body, and it's the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that amazing? Like sometimes we take the body of Christ for granted, and we think it's amazing. This is a place where it's God's body, and he fills it all. I mean, to me, that is amazing. So God's the head of the church. If you have a problem, talk to him. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so then how does that all get worked out? Let's see what we see next. So our structure is, this is a quote from Chuck Smith. So there's a senior pastor. You can call that whatever you want. But the senior pastor is ruled over by the Lord and recognized by the congregation as God's instrument to lead the church. The senior pastor then is responsible for the teaching, the equipping, 
the praying and the seeking of God's will and direction for the congregation, and the administrative oversight of the congregation. And then we have the board of elders. That God brings a, a support group, a support of people, men. And God's very particular about the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and down. And then also we're going to see another scripture about what's really important. But So we have a board of elders. What do they do? And quote from Chuck Smith, guiding and directing the church. So the board of elders are to guide and direct the church. What does that mean? It means accountability for me. It means support. It means prayer to help the church in difficulties and to help with decisions in the church, including financial church decisions and church policy. Okay? And then we have assistant pastors. Chuck Smith, quote, complimenting the assistant pastor, compliment by ministering to the spiritual needs of the people on a daily basis. So like we saw, Moses wasn't able to handle everything. So he, he enlisted and got certain men who God had called to spread the burden around. So everybody got taken care of to the best of their ability. And then deacons. Deacons are basically anybody that helps with physical needs. It's pretty much our ushers or deacons. We don't necessarily put titles and say, you're, if you're serving the Lord, you're a deacon. And a deacon can be the other things too. But a deacon is primarily somebody who helps with the physical needs of the church. Um, a pastor is somebody that helps with the spiritual needs of the church. And then the board is one that helps guide and direct the church, praying and with decisions and policies that um, we're looking to the Lord to see what he wants to do with the church. And that's really the key. That there would be, because the church can be killed in any one of these areas. The senior pastor, the assistant pastors of the boards, the can, church can die there. If you get the wrong people in there or if you get people that are not seeking the Lord's will. And that's why this next slide is really important. I hope it's the right one. Okay, that's why this is really important. And by the way, we're almost done. This is really important. So in Acts chapter 6, we get an idea of structure. And we get an, another idea kind of like with Moses, but there is a big problem. And it was similar to Moses. Like, there are so many people that people weren't getting taken care of and ministered to. So watch what happens. So it says, now in those days when the number, number of disciples was multiplying. So, you know, your church is growing. The church is growing in those days. It says there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Hellenists were Greeks. So, you know, you had Hebrews and Greeks within. The, they're still trying to get used to the we're one body in Christ. It's not, you know, this whole fraction thing. So... There's a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists or the Greeks. And the reason why is because the Greek widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So the Greek widows seemed like they weren't being taken. The church would take care of the widows and they weren't being taken care of. The, the church was growing and for whatever reason, seemed like the 
Jewish or Hebrew people were being taken care of. So that, that's a whole other story in of itself about the importance that we don't have our identity in our ethnicity or you know where we're from, if we're from California or Texas. I really don't like that. Like, I'm from California. I don't like the fact that, well, I'm from Texas. I'm, we're one body in Christ. So we have, we have to get away from that, that whole thing. It's okay to be from California or Oregon or wherever you're from. <laughs> but we're one body of Christ. Let's not make that a big deal. And eth- ethnicity or geographic location, well, let's just be one body in Christ. Amen? Amen. So in verse 2 it says the 12, the disciples, they summon the multitude of disciples. So they bring everybody together and they say, hey, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, here's something really interesting. And here's something that Satan can do, a little trick that he does. That he can get either the senior pastor or the assistant pastors or mainly the teaching pastor so busy that he's not doing the main thing that he's called to do, and that's to pray and teach and feed the word of God. Do you remember Peter? When Peter was restored... Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, I love you. What do you say? Feed my sheep. There's such an emphasis in the Bible of feeding my sheep and then tending the sheep. There's an emphasis placed on that. And that's so important because when a a pastor becomes more like a CEO than a teacher and a minister, then the church spiritually will suffer from that. It's so important that the church is is able to emphasize prayer and teaching because in Ephesians 4, it says that's where the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry goes. That's That's a primary central thing in Calvary chapels that the senior pastor or the teaching pastor, whoever it is, they're able to have time and concentrate because Satan will come and distract from that. And Satan will come and say, you know, you got, you're so busy doing this, all this stuff. And if, if the, the teaching pastor doesn't have time to labor in prayer over the word, then that's the, the congregation suffers from that. But that's biblical. That's what, the, that's what they recognize. That's so wise. Imagine in those days the people needed to be fed the word of God and taught the word of God, and they were being tempted to go away from that to do something else. But see, here's the beauty of the body of Christ and the importance of delegation. So watch what happens. So the temptation was to leave the word of God and then go help these people. Imagine the social justice kind of kicking in like, you know, we got to take care of everybody. But the the disciples, they recognize the importance of taking care of people by feeding their souls the word of God. But they didn't just leave it there. They said, we're gonna, we need to pray and focus on the word. But he said, therefore, seek out from among you seven men, and here's something important, of good reputation. Get this. We got to have this full of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have this, we're in trouble. If we have people raised up and we have you know, a couple filled with the Holy Spirit and a couple that we're in trouble. This is so important. 
And God will raise people up that are of good reputation and that are full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Now, something like a, something that they, as a, something they had to have that in order to be even considered. How'd they know they're full of the Holy Spirit? That was last week's message, right? They could, you could tell when somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit. But that was, they said, that's important. That was, that was a, a requirement. But then also he says, and wisdom. To have wisdom. And that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? That comes from being in a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. So those are the three qualifications for people that would be used and raised up. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And that only comes from a walk with the Lord and spending time with the Lord. So they appointed these people over, but it says in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the, the saying, it says it pleased the whole multitude. It was, this is wise. This is good. And this, this is sort of how we look at church government. It pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose Stephen. And it was noted about Stephen that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and it lists some other guys there. And then in verse 6, it says, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God spread. See, what's so important now? The word of God is spreading. This is what it's all about. They were being tempted to not continue in the word, not continue in a prayer, but to take care of just physical needs to the expense of the word of God. But now because of the wisdom and they had people helping and they had people involved, now the word of God is going out. People are getting taken care of. And then those people are exercising their gifts and being involved in the ministry and get to experience that. But did you notice Stephen even went from that to being the first martyr of the church? So be careful when you get into ministry. So then in um, verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Isn't that neat? So next slide. So our structure then, the way we set up is, is, is we simple, hopefully prayerful, Hopefully to feed and not to hinder. Hopefully that we're able to minister to everybody and that as many people as God calls gets involved and it stirs up their gift. And then a last quote by Chuck Smith kind of gives a summary of what we just said. He said, we believe that God's model is that the pastor is ruled by the Lord, aided by the elders to discover the mind and will of Jesus Christ for his church and then implemented by the assistant pastors. And I think that's a great model. And the last slide. So when we bring this all together, this is what our desire is. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end... Of this session is at hand. 
Not really. Well, it, it is really, but that's not what it says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Is that pertinent today? Wow. We don't have time to get into all the world event stuff. But you know, church government aside, it's, it's so critical that we're heeding the advice to be serious and watchful in our prayers. But then he says, and above all, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. And he says, he's talking about church stuff. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let, it do, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. Why? That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, so any questions regarding what we talked about today? Looks like you got your, all your questions out the first meeting. Okay, well, yes, D. Yes, good question. Yeah, so the question is, can women be deacons? And the answer is yes, we do see a biblical precedent. A deacon, and again, a deacon is someone who helps with the physical needs of the church, and we do see biblical examples of that. So, yeah. Did that answer your question? Yes. I thought I saw another hand. So. Yes. Um. I can, uh, if somebody asks me for it, I sure can. I have, I have notes that I can send to, probably easier to read. If someone was interested, I could send all that, yeah. Anybody else? So that maybe that, um, so that, that's another thing. So another thing that people ask, well, can women be pastors in your church? We've, we've had that. And the answer to that is that we do see a different role for men and women. And when we look at it, I don't see in the Bible a woman pastor. And it's important to understand when we, when we understand about that. Because that, that, it seems like that kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes it becomes a bigger deal than other times. And it's important to understand there's no greater role. Like one role is bigger than the other. But there are roles. The Bible certainly does say that the role, even within the Godhead, would you all say that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were equal? I hope so. But would you also say they had different roles? For sure. So that's how we look at it. 
I think you can't make a case, in my opinion, for a woman being a pastor. And you, you, I think it's just the opposite, actually. But at the same time, the church needs the women to do the things that they do within the church. And I feel like we have a thriving group of women, women's ministry, and women doing things in various capacities within the church that we depend on and rely on. So we look at it as there are, there are definite roles. None are better or higher than the other. It's just for sure there's, there's roles. And those are, to me, pretty clear in the Bible. So, and can a woman be a deacon? Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, we have ministry leaders, you know, like, well, Kim's a ministry leader and uh, over the women's ministry and things like that. But we wouldn't, I wouldn't have or see a woman being in a role where she'd be over uh, a ministry that involve men and women. Kind of, I, I think what you see in the New Testament is just the opposite of that. But that's a good question. Okay, things got really tense there. For you. Uh, anything else? Zach, please make it easy question. You're, I know you're setting me up for something. No, no, I, I don't. I, in some instances where they're maybe sharing a testimony, if we had a missionary, give you an example, that's sharing with the church or somebody like that. But to be, uh, especially on a regular basis, teaching the, the scriptures like we do, that I think the Bible's clear about that, that that's, that's not biblical, in my opinion. Anybody else? Okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. I thank you for these amazing, wonderful people, Lord, that you've brought us all together for such a time as this, Lord. You are knitting our hearts together, Lord, and I pray that you continue to do that and continue to do a work of the Spirit in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up more people, Lord, to be in, in those positions. You say that, you know, if you desire the office, Lord, of a, of a bishop or an elder, to, that you've desired a good thing. And so I pray there'd be no selfish ambition here, Lord, but our ambition would be for you, Lord, that we'd be fully ambitious for your will and your calling, your plan, and to do your thing your way, Lord. And give us the sensitivity of your spirit. Give us a wisdom and understanding to know what your heart and your will is for this church body, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys.